Well, hey there, podcast listeners. And today we are talking about a topic that's really difficult. And in the studio uh, with Tracy, we have Jason and Julie, and they're going to share with us their personal story about pornography. In fact, in particular, we're talking about lies that porn will tell you. So first of all, Jason and Julie, thank you for coming and being willing to be vulnerable about this. Jason, I know for you, you've been on this journey of recovery for over a year now. So just share real quickly about your story. We're going to get into it a lot more as we talk today. Uh, Okay, so kind of give you a little bit of background. Uh, Kind of pornography hit my life when I was about uh, 12. Um, you know, being able to get the dial-up modem and everything like that, you know, yeah. and, and listen to that. That was always fun yeah. <laughs> for all those old people yes. out there listening and remembering that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and so I didn't really, uh, at the time kind of know exactly really what it was. I knew it was wrong. I knew it mm-hmm. wasn't right, but it, it gave me this feeling of, I wanted more of it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I didn't, I was so young, I didn't know really how to process that. Right. Um, because uh, sex in itself was not talked about in my family at yeah. all. So a lot of the stuff I had to learn on my own. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of just started doing more of it and knowing that I liked it. And then it finally took a hold of me when I was in my teenage years Mm -hmm. and I joined the military and I had access to my own computer and, and, uh, um, no one really to look over my shoulder to, Mm -hmm. to say, Hey, this is wrong or Mm -hmm. right. And, um, and then I just tried, I ended up, uh, getting married and meeting my wife, Julie. And, um, I guess I'd be the other way around meeting her first and then getting married. (laughs) (laughs) So how old were you guys when you got married? Uh, we met when he was 19 and yeah. I was 21. Okay. And we got married two years later. So. Yeah. Wow. So Julie, did you know about his struggle with pornography when you were dating? I had hints of it. Okay. I mean, there were some things that were off, like he would try and get me to view it with okay. him and mm-hmm. just made me uncomfortable. Okay. So he started hiding Okay. a lot of it from the get go, but I didn't know how in depth it was. Okay. And we're going to, yeah, we're going to get to all this. I want to just pause for a second and tell parents listening to this, Jason, your story Mm -hmm. starting at 12 years old is not uncommon. It Mm -hmm. is such a normal story. So parents, if you're out there listening and you've got a 12 year old or a 10 year old at home or a 16 year old at home, Hey, if you don't talk about this stuff with your kids, they're in the place that Jason was in, right? Because Jason, Mm -hmm. your family didn't, I know this is maybe for a whole nother conversation, but just to touch on it briefly, your friend, your family your dad, your mom, they didn't really ever sit down with you and kind of, hey, how you doing? And, you yeah. know, what's that magazine there? Or what are you watching late at mm-hmm. night on, right? Yeah, none at all. Yeah. I remember going through maturation class uh, in sixth grade. And at the end, I had a question. And my dad didn't even know really how to respond to the question. Wow. You know, so it was very, very taboo talking mm-hmm. about sex in my family growing up. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, parents probably do that because, well, either they're disinterested or probably they don't know what to say, Mm -hmm. or maybe they never know their parents never helped them. But I tell you what, the kids are going to learn about it Mm -hmm. and they're going to experiment, right, Jason, you're going to get into it. And without the direction, without, without someone to be holding you accountable, asking you some of those questions, (coughs) she can edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) I think Jason's story can be really um, a lot of stories out there. So Jason, your story has a pretty cool ending and we'll get to that. Yeah. But for so many people, even listening to this, they probably are still struggling with this. In fact, I bet you there are some husbands or even wives listening to this and, and their spouse doesn't know yet. So mm. 
I appreciate Jason and Julie that you're you're being so vulnerable, but I know that it took you a while to get to this place to talk about it at this level. And let me just say this, that's the whole heart behind our resources is to empower conversations that some people are afraid to have, whether it's between a husband and a wife, having to talk about the scariness of pornography, if it's parents talking to their kids about what are you doing on your smartphone or on the computer and not being afraid, that's why we're equipping you with these tools to empower those conversations. Yeah. So let's get back to your story. Okay. Because what we want to do, Jason and Julie, is talk about five lies, Jason, that you've identified that I, I think it's really good. I think everyone dealing with this um, probably <laughs> probably at some level believes these lies. Mm-hmm. And so let's go through them kind of one by one. And then, Julie, I want you to sort of chime in from the perspective of a wife mm-hmm. um, dealing with this, because I think it'll be really good to get both perspectives as you guys are... You know, you're still working through this, certainly, yeah. um, but you're on you're on the positive side of this battle mm-hmm. uh, because it's been over a year for you, Jason, since you've uh, since you've really been clean right, mm-hmm. with yeah. this addiction. So the first lie is this, okay, Jason? You said this. It's not hurting anyone, right? Walk us through that. So uh, I never thought that what I was doing was hurting anyone at all because um, I felt or I believed that it was only hurting myself, Mm. that I was uh, only putting the bad images into my own brain. Mm. Uh, But what I didn't realize, though, is that these bad images were changing the way that I thought, Mm. that just walking down the street, I see a woman, and now I'm completely objectifying her, Mm. simply because I watch videos about women being... Uh, portrayed as symbols Mm -hmm. and as objects and not as a human being themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it it rewired my brain into what intimacy and what I believed intimacy was. So uh, in the aspect of uh, I didn't think I was hurting anyone is because I didn't really know that I was hurting anyone other than myself. So did did that get amplified once you guys got married? Did you start to realize, oh, there is this emotional component now as I'm loving Julie and experiencing sexual relations with her, did you, did that come into clearer focus in marriage? No, not at all whatsoever. So, um, for me, uh, when I finally kind of really understood that, Hey, this is really affecting everyone else around me. wasn't until about 20 years into, Hmm. um, viewing pornography. And this is like viewing pornography every day. Wow. So um, it was a very big issue in my life. Hmm. So this is more than a decade into your marriage. Absolutely. Now, at that point, Julie, for you, did you just kind of stop fighting the battle to try to get him to stop? How did that work <laughs> in your marriage? Or did, or did he hide it for a period? Did he just hide it more and more? Okay, I think one of the most hurtful things for me was actually the lies he told, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which he didn't think was affecting me very much, but he constantly lied to me. He'd constantly hide his addiction, and it was just that much more hurtful, and I always told him it wasn't, it got to the point where it wasn't the pornography, it wasn't what he was looking at, it Mm. was the lies he told to cover it up that hurt me more. Mm. Julie, did you feel a lack of emotional connection from him? Big time. Okay. The so further you... it got into um, our marriage and everything, he was definitely distancing himself okay. more and more. And okay. yet, and yet, Jason, let's go to the second lie. And I know so many men probably tell this lie to themselves. 
You you lie. You said this to yourself. It's not the same thing as cheating on my wife. So I believed that cheating on my wife was a physical thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't. Uh, it couldn't be emotional. It couldn't be what I'm looking at because what I'm looking at isn't what I believed to be real. However, on the other end, at some point in time, it was two real people who made this video, who mm. uh, who are human beings, and they're they're. I, I don't even want to even try and think what their story is mm-hmm. or what they mm-hmm. were led up to believe that this was okay. Right. You know, um, and so after being in recovery is when I realized that uh, cheating is more than just physical, that being with another person to be considered cheating is more than just physical, mm-hmm. that it's an emotional aspect, being able to share uh, something with someone else, mm-hmm. uh, to be vulnerable with another person, uh, and it doesn't even have to be sex to be considered being vulnerable with that other person, mm-hmm. you know. And so it, it wasn't until I finally hit recovery that I truly realized that that's what that was. Well, and that's what was going on for Julie. For you, it was not just sexual. Although that was a problem. It was emotional for you. It was a, it was this breach of this emotional, you know, f- thing that you two had together. Yes, right? very much. Well, and especially because what you said is he would get better and better at hiding it. Oh, he did. Right. And so now it's just it's not only, okay. I know that you do this other thing. But like you said earlier, but it was crushing to know you you were lying to me about what you were doing. So all of it feels like a cheat. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And there's a lot of times where um, I would convince her that she was at fault Mm -hmm. and that she was the one who was wrong Mm -hmm. and that I need to be able to do this. And um, it was, it was interesting going back and and looking on it on how I treated her and everything that I did just to be able to keep it in my life. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I believed that losing this was almost losing a part of myself Mm -hmm. that it's, became an identity of me, an Mm. identity of me, Wow, you know? And so trying to pull that out would felt like a giant void that was gone and missing. So you you had a relationship with pornography. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's good for men and women listening to this to ask themselves that question. What is your relationship with pornography like? Because it is, it's a, maybe it's Mm -hmm. not one woman in particular. It's, but it's, it's with all these other, it's this object that you have in your mind. You've objectified mm-hmm. all these women, right? And so it has, it had become a relationship. So it was a loss for you to mm-hmm. give it up. Absolutely, it was. Well, that leads to the next lie then. That Jason, it sounds like in part of holding on to that and keeping porn in your life and not wanting to let it go is that the lie is it could save your marriage. You being addicted to pornography could actually help save your marriage. How, how does that, how does that work? So how I believed that it could save my marriage was the aspect of if my wife would just let me do this um, and she wouldn't be bothered by it, then it would be okay to have in our relationship. And so therefore our marriage would be saved. Mm. Yeah, go ahead, Julie. I was going to say that that probably brings a reaction even (laughs) to you right now in the studio. I actually at one point got to the point where I said, okay, whatever look at pornography. Maybe it will help us. Mm -hmm. I mean, he actually kind of put that thought into my Mm -hmm. head. But then it was so much more than just looking at the pornography. His attitude had changed. Mm -hmm. He had become more angry. I mean, Mm -hmm. we had become distant. It was that um, intimate connection 
and love between us that had completely disappeared through time. So even him looking at it, it didn't matter because I was completely disconnected from him anyway. Mm. And I would imagine, Julie, for you, it must have been a little, con- you know, you're already struggling with this. You're, you've got your own emotions around this whole thing. Yeah. And you're probably a little desperate yourself. I'm sure there are a lot of spouses listening to this thinking, okay, what, yeah, what's the answer to this? Because my spouse said the same thing to me. Yeah. And so so it would I would imagine this is really confusing. You don't really know, you know, you love your husband and he's saying this and you want to you want your marriage to work and uh, let's let's give it a try. I don't know. I mean, maybe you're right, right? Yeah. Is that was that kind of your attitude? It was at one point. Yeah. But then I was like, forget this. This is not working. Right. Even you looking at it and me being okay with it yeah. isn't changing any aspect of what's going on really well and that's oh go ahead i I was going to say tracy what would you say to a couple who might be thinking that way or considering that right or trying to open themselves up to that thought yeah i just i mean anytime you allow something else in and it's gets between you and it deteriorates the trust in the relationship that's never going to go anywhere good ever Exactly. Anytime that you feel like, you know, someone's doing something on the sly or they're not honest about it or they you can tell by their emotional reaction to things they're holding back or whatever. It's just there's no way to be truly intimate with someone if there's distance or if there's lies or secrets. Okay, so Tracy, what would you say then to a couple listening to this maybe where both husband and wife have a porn addiction, right? Because I know for your story, Jason and Julie, one of you had one, the other, maybe Jason for you, you were like, man, I wish... I wish my wife was into this, then maybe our marriage would be better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a couple times I actually thought that that yeah, would work. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. So Tracy, what would you say to a couple who, because I, I know there are many couples out there who are listening to this, maybe they're a little bit, they, they realize there's something wrong in their marriage, but probably because of the culture we live in, they never even considered that it was the fact that they, they've let pornography into their marriage bed. Yeah, I think you have to recognize that it's never going to be healthy to introduce other people or other images into your relationship. If you're being intimate with your spouse, then it should just be about each other and satisfying each other. And when we bring in other things to add to that or get in the place of that, it's just, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. So if I, I know what our culture is trying to say, Uh, But the statistics will bear it out that pornography is a public health crisis Mm -hmm. and it is doing damage to couples and to individuals. And it's time to stop treating pornography like it's no big deal and it's actually adding to our sex life as a couple. No, it's actually detracting. And you can say that by your own experience when you feel in your heart like this doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. This doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. Um, That's an indication something's wrong. Yeah, that's good. So Jason, the the fourth lie then that you identified is you said, it doesn't affect my emotions. And I know you brought up, Julie, you brought up the emotion of anger. Oh, yeah. So yeah. unpack that a little bit, how you realize that, wait a second, afterward and in recovery now, you realized how how much it did affect your emotions. Well, I could probably do like an hour talk on just this alone. Yeah. Um, so I'll try and be brief though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, through therapy, I've learned that anger is actually a secondary emotion, you know, and that there's something else underneath that is trying to get out, but I'm pushing it down. And um, so because I believed through growing up as well that um, a man can't cry, mm-hmm. a man has to be strong, a man 
is this uh, figure in the household that has to be perfect at everything and can do no wrong. Um, that that was just reinforced through viewing pornography. Um, and so whenever anyone did something that was that I believed was not right, I immediately got angry because I had zero control over the situation. So anytime something became out of my control, I ended up getting angry because I wanted to get the control back. Hmm. And it was only through therapy and, and recovery in itself as well that I truly understood that that's what I was doing. That's why I was constantly getting angry all the time is because I had zero control over all the situations that were going on, but I tried grasping all of that control. And um, I didn't process on how that made me feel. Why is it the fact that my daughter got upset that I um, immediately turned to anger? What was it underneath that I was experiencing as an emotion? Was I um, sad that she did something that I didn't like? Um, and so therefore, because I was sad and I didn't want to experience that sad emotion, I turn around and get angry at her and just yell at her and tell her to go downstairs. Uh, that happened several times, mm. you know, so just being able to see how much better of a person it made me going through recovery and being able to say, hey, what does crying have to do anything with my manlyhood? None at all. That real men, it's okay to cry. Like I'm getting emotional right now just mm -hmm. talking about that. So, mm -hmm. um, but it, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult to explain. Trying to say this to someone who's on the other side who mm -hmm. may not truly understand it, they won't know it until they do it. Mm -hmm. They they may be listening to this right now and saying to themselves, you're full of it, Jason, that there's no way that it's okay for me to cry, that there's no way that I'm ever going to experience any emotion other than anger. Um, but once they finally cross over to that other side and have a little bit of recovery behind them and they start seeing those emotions for what they are, it's amazing mm. to be able to to be vulnerable in front of my wife, in front of my kids, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to show them that I am a person, that I can cry, that it's okay to cry, and that they accept me for that mm -hmm. um, rather than push me away. Because that's a fear. That was a fear, you know, that I would be not accepted. That's what a lot of us addicts fear. We fear not being accepted. Mm -hmm. We fear that we're not going to be loved. And so we isolate ourselves. And so therefore, it's a giant cycle. Mm. We isolate and not get love or acceptance, mm -hmm. yet we fear not being loved or accepted. Mm. And so much of that comes back to not having a healthy response mm -hmm. to who you are, exactly. to your emotions, right? Uh, not knowing how to talk about your emotions, not mm -hmm. knowing how to put them out there, be vulnerable, put yeah. them out at the table, Not even maybe even with yourself, not even being willing... Uh, to be self-aware, to look at your own situation. So any addiction, pornography, drugs, alcohol, is about this anesthetizing behavior. We want this anesthetic, right? Because we don't want to feel the pain, the pain of not of who we are or, who, or being rejected or being afraid to face up to yeah. something hard in our life. And so the problem, with an, again, with an addiction is the, the longer it goes then the deeper probably it feels like you're getting pushed into this. Absolutely. Yeah. So Julie, for you, you, it was interesting earlier, you said that you noticed when you said, okay, fine, you know, 
when you when he, when he said, well, maybe I should just stop lying. Maybe the problem is I have to lie and sneak around. He said, okay, fine, right? You finally relented, and he, you said he got even angrier, right? He would always get angry. I mean, towards the end of his addiction, mm. before he really started recovery, he would get angry about everything. And I think some of the biggest things were he was hiding his fear and he was hiding his shame. He was really ashamed of what he was doing, and he didn't want it come out and admit to me all of the lies that he has been telling. And so everything just made him snap and he would go straight to anger. Everything turned into an argument and then he would avoid it too. Like any conversation I wanted to have with him, it would be avoided by, Oh, well, I don't want to talk about this right now. And, and then if I just pushed it a little bit more, he'd get angry and start throwing things and Mm. getting upset about everything. All right, now maybe this is because I'm a guy, but Julie, help me to understand this. Okay. <laughs> okay, if I were in your shoes, right, I would be like, you can't be the one who's angry. You're the one with the problem. I'm the one who should be angry. I've been there. <laughs> I have done that many times. Yeah. It didn't change anything. <laughs> I, get, I mean, I guess that's amazing, huh, Jason, that you that you're still here. You stuck with him through all of this. I, I don't know, maybe, Julie, maybe what's the secret sauce for you? What would you say to wives out there who are in that place that you were a couple of years ago, just just hopeless and, and, and pulling their hair out and ready to give up, what would you say to them? My biggest um, thing for my own recovery through all of this was understanding that, just like him, I had no control. Hmm. I had no control over what he was going to do. If he was going to start a recovery or not, that was up to him. And I had to stand my ground and have good boundaries mm-hmm. for myself and understand that if he's going to break those boundaries, I have to walk away. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to stand up for myself and stand up to the addiction mm-hmm. for myself because he cannot protect me from the addiction. I had to protect myself from wow. it. So Julie, real quickly, if you could say something to husbands out there that maybe um, are carrying around the secret of their addiction, haven't told their their wife yet or haven't come fully clean yet, what would you what would you encourage them to do because it could seem really scary like my wife what I mean if I tell her everything she's going to leave me anyways like what what would you encourage husbands to take the risk to share the information for the sake of their marriage um just you might be surprised how well Hmm. we can handle things Mm -hmm. Hmm. um yes it is very hard and scary to hear some of the stuff right up front I know a lot of it was helpful. We had a therapist to walk us through mm-hmm. um, what he he had done in everything. Okay. But um, it was able. I was able with the therapist to be able to walk through it myself okay. and understand. Okay, this was his addiction. This was not him. Mm-hmm. This was like a cancerous thing on him Mm -hmm. that he needs to get rid of. It wasn't the true Jason. I needed to find that and understand that he's in there within this addiction. Which I do want to make sure people hear that therapy was a major part of your journey. Absolutely. And you would encourage people to seek professional care. Mm -hmm. 150%. That was... That was a big, having all those tools in my recovery is what helped me Mm -hmm. uh, to include other things, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't want to lose anyone when I say this, but um, there was one thing that that Julie had to face as well. And that was a lot of things that she had with her past as well Mm -hmm. that she had to deal with to be able Mm -hmm. to 
uh, almost in a way go through her own recovery and understand that what I was doing wasn't intended to hurt her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I had nothing to do with right. the addiction. The addiction, he had it long before me. Right. It was a big thing. That was one of the lies that addiction kind of convinced me was I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. I mean, I could never compare to these women, but right. there's no reason to compare to them, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah. that's really good. It was one of those things where I just had to learn on my own what I wanted in love, what I wanted in intimacy with my husband and to go through my own recovery, like he was yeah. saying, and know where I stand in it all. That's great. Yeah. So the last lie, and we've, we've used this word mm-hmm. a lot already, you know, that, and this, Jason, speak to this, because I think a lot of people listening to this probably are still resistant to this word, right? It's not an addiction. Yeah. Well, why do they keep using the word addiction? This isn't drugs. This isn't alcohol. Too many people think that addiction is involving literally what you just said, drugs and alcohol, that there's nothing else addiction can be involved with, uh, you know, and through therapy, my therapist has a great definition for for, uh, addiction. It's um, the continued use of any mind or mood altering substance or experience, even in the face of negative consequence. So you take out the middle and you just do the beginning and the end, the continued use of what, right, of any... uh, even in the face of negative consequences. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do this over and over and over again, even though I know something bad is still going to happen if I do this, mm-hmm. right? So that right there in itself still doesn't make an addiction. It's of what? Anything that changes the way we think, mind or mood, or altering substance or experience. So the way we think or feel, mind or mood, altering substance or experience, anything we put into our body, so like alcohol and drugs, or experience sex, Porn, mm-hmm. um, uh, gambling, gambling, or, yeah. yeah, any anything out there that just sure. changes from experience the way we feel, mm-hmm. you know. And so, being able to throw pornography into that definition was pornography changing the way that I feel. Absolutely, it was. Was I continually using it all the time, even though I knew something bad was going to happen every single time that I did it? Yes. So therefore, it was an addiction to me. So Jason and Julie, before before we kind of wrap up this this podcast episode, let's just touch briefly. We've kind of kept Jesus out of this, right? We've mm-hmm. kind of kept yeah. God out of this. But let's just, Jason, touch br- briefly on how um, your, your journey with God has impacted this whole thing. Because we, of course, believe that you really can't have freedom apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Uh... You know, I tried everything to to get rid of this addiction in my life when I finally realized, hey, this is something that I don't want anymore. Um, so for about three years, I focused on therapy, um, therapy, therapy, therapy. Um, I ended up going to 12-step groups. I ended up getting a sponsor. I worked the 12-step program. I ended up using... Um, uh, medication, uh, just anything that I could think of that would help me overcome this addiction. And yet nothing was working. Hmm. Then one day I had a friend who invited me to a um, men's group Bible study and I ended up going. um, I actually had to leave one of my therapy groups to be able to go to it. So it was a big Hmm. transition for Mm -hmm. me. I was like, okay, I'm leaving something that I've been doing for a long time that I over and over again, people say it works. 
to go and do something to be able to put faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, so I ended up going and doing that. And um, literally right at that exact same time is the day my sobriety started. Wow. So, I mean, November 13th of 2017 mm-hmm. was my sobriety date. Um, and it was probably a week before that, mm-hmm. maybe. And actually, it's probably right around that same time. I know, I mean, it just coincided with it. I remember specifically that that was the time that I got invited to go to that, started getting into the Word more mm-hmm. and being able to have a relationship with Jesus is finally when all of this started working. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's such. A, I think there's so much to learn from that. Number one, that that look at what God did, what the enemy intended for evil from the time mm-hmm. you were 12 till till that day in 2017. Um, God turned that around for good, and it really is true. Romans 8:28 says God God will use all things for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And mm-hmm. so even a trial like this, even something so painful in your marriage and in your life, um, I think that is it's so cool to hear just how. And again, it's not that therapy isn't important and even the, some of the medication, whatever else, I think that was all part of the, the plan, but, but true freedom, true, uh, true, you know, the ability to overcome any kind of addiction. I want everyone to hear this out there, the podcast listeners, only comes through Jesus Christ. So for those of you who are out there who are listening to this, and you, if you don't know what that means, if you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know what, what Jason's talking about when he's talking about a Bible study. In fact, Jason, you said... You're still pretty new to reading the Bible, right? It's mm-hmm. only been a couple of years, and and you're still learning, and you're still growing, yeah. and you're digging in. Julie, you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's someone out there that's saying, "I don't, I don't, I want to know how to get to the next, to 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 this place that Jason and Julie got to," it happens through Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you to check out some of those resources at PursueGod.org. You can find this video uh, in the uh, in the addiction section of the website. And you can find other videos on theology and on faith and on investigating faith. And I just encourage you to, to find a, a, a solid Christian church in your area and get connected. If you know a Christian in your life at work or in the neighborhood, invite them, ask them to walk with you and to help you and, and to use some of those resources online to mentor you. Uh, but this, this victory only happens through Jesus Christ. So Jason and Julie, thank you for sharing, yeah. for being vulnerable and for sharing this awesome message. We need to have you in here again because we, we just scratched the surface, didn't <laughs> oh, yeah. we? Yeah, we did. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much more to talk about on this topic, but for you podcast listeners, we'll see you next time on the podcast.